Howdy, Green Rush Nation. Producer Shay Gunther here with a quick announcement about this week's show. Everyone here working on the Green Rush is taking this week off for the holidays, so we're running instead an episode of my podcast, Marijuana Today, which you can find over at mjtodaypodcast.com if you happen to like what you hear. Marijuana Today is a weekly show with a regular rotating cast of hosts and regulars and has been up and running since all the way back in 2014, which is like 100 years ago in legal marijuana terms. We'll be back with a regular episode of The Green Rush next week. In the meantime, please enjoy the following episode of Marijuana Today, which features Green Rush host Ann Donahoe making her series debut. Welcome to episode 331 of Marijuana Today. I'm your host, Ben Larson, and we're recording Friday, November 20th, 2020. How you doing, Marijuana Nation? Is everyone okay? Have we made it to the other side yet? The incoherent partisan screaming has seemingly been reduced to a low murmur. Or maybe I'm just especially good at tuning out Giuliani. Uh, Perhaps it's his hair dye drowning him out. Either way... The fog seems to be lifting. Trump lawsuits are being dismissed all around the country, uh, despite him attempting every other strategy to undermine our our democracy. Uh, Georgia has confirmed Biden's victory and and found that there was no widespread fraud after their statewide audit. I'm shocked. And Trump is nowhere to be found, at least where he needs to be, like focusing on the exploding pandemic. And yet... It is a good day. It's a good day uh, because we don't need to talk about any of that. We don't have to talk about the election. Who's going to win? What state is going to vote green? None of it. That's all passed. Uh, For the most part. Georgia, your job is not done yet. Special thanks to the crew, uh, my crew, uh, for the stellar work uh, the last couple episodes. Taylor West, Betty Aldsworth, Andrew Livingston, Mike Lazuski, Heather Sullivan, Chris Crane, and of course, Shay. Uh, you guys are amazing. Thank you for covering all the details and, and telling us what just exactly we have to look forward to in, in the states new to the Legal Cannabis Club. Uh, this leaves me with the freedom uh, to take this episode wherever I want. Uh, like the massive momentum we're seeing in legalization, including Mexico's Senate passing a bill to legalize. Uh, the strong growth indicators of U.S. cannabis businesses like uh, Cresco Labs and Cureleaf. There's a lot to be thankful for, uh, which is appropriate uh, with Thanksgiving right around the corner. We'll be talking about all of this and more as we get serious about marijuana business and politics. Uh, but you didn't tune in to hear me pontificate for an hour. So, of course, I'm joined by two of the smartest women in the industry and the movement. First up. And the first person I mentioned on that list of rock stars just a moment ago, a founding partner at Heart and Mind Media and the director of development at New Approach PAC, Taylor West. It is great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, Ben. I appreciate it. Thank you. Super excited to chat with you. This is a first for me. (laughs) Um, And next up, we have the managing director of KCSA Strategic Communications, 
co-host of our sister show, The Green Rush Podcast, and someone I sat down with not too long ago to be interviewed, only now to flip the script on her. Ann Donahoe, welcome. Thank you. I said to you guys earlier, this is like being at the grown-up table. <laughs> Super excited. I feel the, I feel the <laughs> same. You've, you've been hosting longer than I have. <laughs> um, well, it's such a pleasure to have both of you here today. Uh, really looking forward to digging into this with you. Um, so here we go. As we all know, we had another successful push in the legalization effort this election season. Five out of five states passing. Far exceeding my conservative expectations. Don't go listen to those previous episodes. Uh, Arizona, Montana, South Dakota, Mississippi, and the highly anticipated New Jersey. At this point, it almost seems like the rest of the dominoes may fall on their own. Though I know Taylor probably just cringed when I said that. <laughs> but, I did. <laughs> but really, um, there now seems to be a laundry list of states potentially moving in 2021. New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, Mar Maryland, New Mexico, maybe even Rhode Island, Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, who knows? So, Taylor, uh, what does this momentum mean for the for the industry as we head into 2021? Well, there's a couple of different things happening. Um, one is a lot of the states that you just listed, uh, there are you know, some real potential uh opportunities for progress there. And a lot of those are places where this would potentially get done through the legislature, um, which up until recently had not been the case. I think um, Illinois, correct me if I'm wrong, Illinois was the first one to actually do adult use legalization um, through the legislature. And we've been looking for others to join. Um, and a lot of those East Coast states uh, don't have uh, the option to really go through a voter initiative um, or a referendum to legalize anyway. So that's part of the reason why we haven't seen uh, progress in those states before. We're hitting some critical mass now. I think, you know, New Jersey legalizing this cycle will put, has already put quite a lot of pressure on New York. Um, I think to maybe to a slightly lesser extent, Pennsylvania, but Pennsylvania was already kind of moving in that direction. Uh, and even, you know, as those, as those dominoes, as you said, <laughs> you know, kind of fall on the uh, up and down the East coast, especially, or at least in the, in the mid Atlantic and, and kind of lower parts of new England. Um, I think there's some really good opportunities there. The, the thing that I want people to keep in mind, especially, um, and this is kind of where the, the cringe from, you know, these things do them <laughs> seem to be doing it by themselves. Right. Sorry about is, that. Um, one, no, no, it's all right. Because it's it's important to, you know, to recognize that there, there, look, I'm not saying there isn't some truth to this in the fact that we aren't having to fight the battle in the way that we used to. We're not having to fight against the idea of this as even a, a, a concept the way we used to. Um, there's so much public support now for even, you know, adult use legalization. The, the margins that we're seeing in, in some of these red states, I'm just... It's phenomenal. Yeah. It's like, oh, wow. Like, you know, we when we were reaching that 50-50 realm, you know, there's a lot of talk about like bipartisan support and all that. And it's just like, it's so clear now. Mm -hmm. It's like in a red state to see broad acceptance. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful transition. Yeah, no, and it's great. And the, this is, you know, we're going to see legislatures doing this work um, where we still need to do a lot of work and where we need to use this momentum is to bring some more red states onto the table. Um, I 
have, and again, for people who listen to the show regularly, this is a hobby horse of mine, but I think especially given what we've seen with the results in the U.S. Senate and the likelihood that it will either continue to be Republican run or even in a best case scenario, very, very narrowly Democratic run. I just don't think we're going to see the progress we want to see at the federal level until we get some more Republicans on board. And we're not going to get those Republicans on board in the Senate, at least, um, unless we win in their states. So, you know, looking ahead... Um, on more of the voter initiative side, you know, I think we're looking at places um, like Oklahoma and Missouri, um, which actually uh, we had intended to do this year before COVID essentially made signature gathering um, not feasible in those states. Um, Those are states that, you know, are not that far off from places like South Dakota. uh, And if we win them, can make a huge difference in bringing over some more Republicans. Um, And then the other kind of big one that's hanging out there um, that could be a ballot initiative or could be the legislature, just depending on how um, things play out is Ohio. Um, it's always been, you know, it's, it's been a little bit of a, a white whale for various reasons over the past several years. Um, partly because it's a very large state. It's very expensive to, to play there. Um, partly because there was a pretty ill-conceived attempt a couple of years ago that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Um, but I think there is a very, I think there's a very real possibility that the legislature could take it on. And if not, um, then I think it will be a, an initiative target in the, in the next two years. Awesome. Awesome. And I think it's interesting. Um, we're in this unique place in history where um, COVID-19 has, has not, not touched any industry. So I think that there is a, a, a almost a shift in message that that could happen that could make legalization very appealing to a red state. Um, you know, how are we going to pay for you know all of these tax, all of these? Um, basically, how are we going to pay for all of these people being unemployed? How are we going to, you know, there's going to be huge budget shortfalls. And this, um, it's not a a magic bullet or a silver bullet, but it is something that can can help to uh, bring some revenue, much needed revenue into states that are struggling um, and that can't keep up with, um, you know, keeping the schools open and are running out of, you know, finances for all of the really important things. So, you know, there is that story to tell um, that that, that may ring the bells of some really conservative uh, legislators. Yeah, you bring up an interesting point. Uh, here on the West Coast, I think we have some pretty significant geographic barriers in between states, right? And, and the states are fairly large. But as states legalize on the East Coast, it's like with New Jersey especially, which I know is close to your heart, <laughs> and um, you know, it, it just makes it seem like a, a lot more... Uh, likely that their 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 neighboring states are are going to go along with them. They're not going to want to see. I mean, New York's going to. I mean, Cuomo has already said that it's on. It's it's you know a target for 2021. But you know, no, they're not going to want to see that the that those tax revenues leaving the state. Um, and you know, New Jersey's always played uh, the the bratty little sibling to <laughs> to New York. And mm-hmm. you know, I think. Um, I think that's going to be a, a tough pill for them to swallow, especially in light of all of the budget issues that is ha- that are happening at the state level. So, so Taylor, 
how long does New Jersey get to hold this decision over the New Yorkers <laughs> head? Like, are, are they going to be like holding the gold medal for like three months and then it get ripped? Like, what do we have to overcome in, in, in New York? And, you know, I don't know what, what, what conversations have ha been had to date that, that, that might be able to allow us to foresee what that environment like might look like. Well, I mean, the first step in this process is New Jersey has to get their program together. Um, one of the things that's important to remember about the New Jersey initiative is that it was actually placed on the ballot by the legislature in New Jersey because they tried to pass legislation and couldn't agree on the details and eventually just decided to essentially kick the can over to the voters. Um, I'm not pessimistic that they're like somehow going to fail at, at creating a program, but it's not as simple as just saying like, come January 1st, boom, we've got legal sales in New Jersey. They, the legislature still has to actually create the program and the rules and, and all of that. Um, and you know, there's a very strong, um, advocacy movement for social justice and equity provisions to be included in this, which I think is, is great. Um, but we also know that the more factors there are in this type of legislation, the more complicated it is to get passed and get, you know, everybody on board, not a reason not to do it, just a reason that it may take a little longer than, than anticipated. Um, so that's kind of the first step. We, we got to see what New Jersey is going to come up with. I mean, we also had kind of the, the wild card um, last week that a legislator who I believe is as yet unnamed uh, actually added a decriminalization of psilocybin onto the cannabis decrim bill that was um, coming up through the New Jersey legislature, which is slightly separate from the legalization bill, but um, but still go hand in hand. So all kinds of weird things can happen. You know, I, um, I think everyone's still kind of figuring that out. Um, all that being said, I would be shocked if New York in its upcoming legislative session doesn't take this on. Um, you know, I don't see given how close they were to doing it last year. Um, and the fact that the governor and various folks have all said that they want to do it and that they see why it needs to be done. Um, it's hard to imagine it collapsing again, the way that it did last year. Um, again, it's going to be a situation where the devil will be in the details and getting the equity and, and social justice provisions, right. Um, will be an important part of that process, but without, much insider knowledge on this or really any insider knowledge on this at all. I am hopeful that given the way the process kind of collapsed last year, that the, the folks who are involved in all of that have learned something, have, have figured out, you know, how to, to, to find the common ground that's needed and that that will provide a foundation. So they're not starting from scratch again. Mm. Yeah. And, and so uh, pertaining to the, the equity and social justice components in, in New Jersey, uh, we've seen a lot of headlines being being critical um, that it wasn't included, um, but 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 as you mentioned, there's a lot of work to be done to get to that that legal state. Um, so is it? I mean, I don't want to diminish uh, the importance of including equity and social justice into these conversations, but is it as big of a deal as? as some of the headlines might be making out to be that it wasn't included in that phase because there's so much work and opportunity to include it now and people are just making sure that their voices are heard. Uh, is that more the case? That's at least my understanding. I mean, my understanding of the way this works is essentially when the legislature kicks something to the ballot, it's 
at least, or at least in this case, it was a very broad, just do New Jersey voters want us to legalize cannabis or not? Um, there wasn't a lot of room for writing it, or at least the legislature didn't take the room to write out a very specific program in part because that was the whole problem in the first place. They couldn't agree on a specific program. So they kicked the concept to the to the ballot. Uh, I think with the feeling that once there was a clear expression of support from the voter base, then there would be that much more incentive to, for everyone to come to the table and get it done. Um, and I think it's really important that advocates be loud right now about these things because this is a, a wide open field to, to create this legislation and we want those voices to be heard. And there's no question that there are, you know, other interests, not necessarily bad interests, but business interests who are, who really do want a program that works for them in New Jersey. And they may or may not consider social equity measures to be a big part of that. Um, so it's important that we have advocates at the table balancing those out so that we get a program that, that has benefits for, for everybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as we look at, at the coming year, uh, New York clearly being one of them, like, if we had to take a realistic guess, I, I, I like putting this on you guys. <laughs> Let me pose it this way. Which, which, uh, which states would we be surprised not to see significant efforts in next year? Uh, which state would we be surprised not to see significant efforts? Uh, New York. I mean, I, I, New York is just... Um, I think it's just the gorilla in the room. Um, and I think that, I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of another state that would be more surprising to me, I, you know, and it, maybe it's just because of my, um, my East Coast vibes and my, my East Coast, um, you know, roots, but it's all anyone's talking about in my, in my hometown and in my family and in all of that stuff. So um, it, it has permeated into the, um, pop culture or culture, not even pop culture. So, um, I, that would be the state that I would be most surprised. Um, wouldn't, I I just don't see Cuomo at this point throwing up too many, like uh, the issue was with him, he didn't put his weight behind it. Um, he kind of just let it, you know, he just hung back where he could have taken a, a, a more definitive stance and, and, and gotten it to, to push its way through. But I, don't think he's got that right now. He's too, he's too busy. And like, it's the, the voters have, have kind of said that this is what they want. So I don't know. What about the, uh, the other mid Atlantic States, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, Connecticut. Um, yeah. I think Pennsylvania is a big one in part, um, because it's, uh, it's also in that sort of general geographic area. Um, it's got a Democratic governor and a Democratic lieutenant governor, uh, lieutenant governor who has been quite outspoken <laughs> about his uh, his support for legal marijuana. Um, John Fetterman, who, you know, clearly has his eyes on larger office as well. So, you know, I think he he has a good sense of, of which way the wind is blowing in, in Pennsylvania. Well worth the Twitter um, follow. Sorry. So I'd be surprised. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. Oh, man. No, no, He's really... 
He's fantastic. Yeah, if you don't know John Fetterman, <laughs> look into him. Just I, he's great I, I, on all kinds of levels. I have to go check in on Twitter and see if I lifted my Twitter ban because uh, they were uh, signaling everyone that was searching for marijuana about the its implications and who to call if someone's addicted. And I'm like, <sighs> yeah, not my platform. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I do think Pennsylvania would be on that list for me, uh, which is not to say necessarily that. I'd be shocked if it, you know, somehow got bogged down, but I, I would be surprised if it didn't at least um, have a, a substantive effort um, in this I think legislative to session. Flip the question: a state that I'd be super surprised at making any significant headway would be like a North Carolina. Um, I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. it's such a. I'm sorry, North Carolina, but you're bipolar. Um, you know, I think there's <laughs> such a disconnect between um, the the state legislature and the the governor. And um, I mean, my dad lives in Asheville, which it's it's literally its own little island in the middle mm-hmm. in the middle of this deep red state. Um, but it's I don't know. It's a fascinating state. Their state government is. Uh, 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 hot mess. Um, and I think, you know, while they've made overtures and I think they just released, um, uh, some findings from a social justice study, I'm not going to get that exactly right, but, um, I would be really surprised if anything substantive happens there. The one I'm kind of taking, keeping an eye on for various reasons is Virginia. Um, first, because I'm from there. And so that is, uh, you know, it's always got a little bit of a extra interest for me. But it's one where I feel like the electorate is well placed to support legal cannabis. It's a very purple state. It's, you know, evolved quite a lot in the last decade. Um, but it's also a state where the legislature is, is very powerful. Um, there's almost no kind of option for ballot initiative. And even the governor um, can only serve a single four-year term. Um, They can't serve consecutive terms. So it puts even more uh, power in the hands of legislative leaders than you have in most states. Um, The governor just came out this week and said that he was going to support legalization. Um, And Virginia has passed a very limited sort of CBD medical law already. Um, But him coming out and and saying he was going to support it was a little surprising to me. Um, I don't know enough about the makeup of the legislature at this point um, and how many of the really old school Republicans are still running the show there. Um, But it will be interesting to see if the legislature is able to make any progress in that direction in Virginia. Yeah. And and, and from my perspective, you know, I'm just going to throw my hat in the ring. It's not a huge market. Uh, but does kind of round out the ripe Western states is, is New Mexico. Um, I, I, I just, I, I like the idea of us surrounding uh, Idaho, Utah, <laughs> and Wyoming and be like, come on, guys, get with the program. Um, and then also it's adjacency to Texas, which uh, at some point is going to be <laughs> be the massive target that, that, that we need on, uh, on our side. So, um, Well, and we're not even talking about medical, by the way, which I, you know, uh, understandably, that's not exactly the revolution these days. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Idaho is actually a, a place that we looked at running a medical marijuana initiative this past year. And again, COVID restrictions ended up kind of dropping that one off the list. But, um, you know, some of these states that seem, you know, impregnable um, for adult use are still definitely ripe for medical and you know, can start to lay the groundwork there, too. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. Um, the, my question is, you know, what are the chances we get to 
50 out of 50 states having some form of legalization, be it medical or adult use, uh, before the feds finally uh, get with the program and at least indicate that there should be some form of legalization across the United States? Or is it going to be 50 for 50 before we see any movement there? I mean, we if this much movement is anticipated in 2021 alone, and a lot of people are predicting... Um, you know, maybe an entire presidential term uh, before we see a broad legalization movement. It's just, it just seems like it's putting us in this untenable, untenable space. Not to mention uh, the fact that uh, the, the, the Mexican Senate just passed their legalization bill. So now instead of, uh, you know, instead of being the cool party underneath the apartment, like people used to say the U.S. was, which we definitely aren't anymore, um, you know, now we're the, like the alleyway in between two parties and like we have a dumpster burning in it. Um, but like, I, I just, I'm having a hard time uh, reconciling all this. And, and I, as I've often claimed in the, in, in other episodes, I, I'm, I'm probably the newest to the political efforts and realm. And so I just, I, I'm highly confused by all this. <laughs> I mean, I would say, my guess is we are not yet at critical mass um, right now for federal movement. Um, I And I am not convinced that even if we get a couple of kind of democratic legislative states on board, um, that that will be enough to move the needle. But I don't think it's going to be a we have to wait for 50 states to get there situation. I do think especially if we bring on a couple more um, Republican states or, you know, Ohio, you can make the case is slightly purple, um, but is also just very large and, and influential. Um, I, I think those are going to be the the sort of critical mass states that that tip things over. And all of this is based essentially on the idea that where we're hitting the brick wall right now is the U.S. Senate. Like it just that just continues to be the case, um, and it's going to continue to be the case um, because that's what the Senate does. They slow down things that the House does, or in a lot of cases, just stop them altogether. Um, I think we also need to be cognizant of the fact that we are not that far off from a Republican House situation. Um, you know, two years from now, given the way things went this year, we're not. Depending on you know political sort of trade winds, we could see the house flip, and we could see Pete Sessions come back into running the rules committee, which <laughs> is just so disheartening. I, I mean, it really. <laughs> Jesus, I, I actually didn't realize this until. <laughs> I know I didn't realize this until someone brought it up. I think actually on the last uh, episode of this that I was on that. You know, he he is now rejoining the house in a different district than the one where he was defeated. Oh, um, but he um, regains his seniority, like he still holds on to the seniority from his previous years in the house. So, if Republicans take control of the house, he will be in the same spot in line that he would have been otherwise. And if he wants the rules committee, there's a very good chance he could run it again. So, these are things that we have to take into consideration in terms of of timelines. All that being said. I really don't see a world in which we don't get at least some kinds of some kind of states act like um, progress where at the very least the feds pull back and and say 
this is no longer our concern. This is now a state issue. You guys deal with it. We're just getting out of this. And that is different from federal legalization. That's not, you know, 50 state legalization. It's not a consistent program across the U.S., um, but it does at least then open up um, all of these state programs to run without the complications that come from from federal interference. Yeah, yeah. Based on uh, Mitch McConnell's track record, uh, maybe we just focus all our effort on Kentucky and and getting them to have some sort of program that he'll inevitably have to support. Um, He's such a human speed bump. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, we saw him flip on hemp really quick. So it's, uh, you know, just make sure he's financially incentivized and, and we could get it. Well, aside from that, I, I think there's certainly a lot to be excited about. Um, I'm pumped for, for 2021 and what might happen there. I I think having California and New York and so many States in between legalized, um, would be kind of that, that, that next, that next level. Um, and maybe, maybe our, uh, what we call traditional market here in California could stop shipping so much to, to New York. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that was a great first segment. Thank you. And Taylor, uh, when we come back, uh, we'll be talking about the exciting growth we're seeing here in the U.S. and the seemingly misguided growth in the Canadian stock market as a result of the election. Um, but before that, let's get a word in from Shay and our sponsor who makes this show possible. Thanks, Ben. This week, we're sponsored by our friends over at Cureleaf, Marijuana Today's exclusive multi-state cannabis operator sponsor. With 93 local dispensaries, 22 cultivation sites, and 30 processing facilities, serving up more than 350,000 registered patients and customers. Cureleaf's 93 local shops have all taken measures to address the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, with things like curbside pickup and online ordering available where allowed. Cureleaf shops also open up an hour earlier each morning exclusively for older patient customers and shoppers. You can find a complete list of all the things that everyone at Cureleaf is doing to keep everyone safer over at cureleaf.com with Cureleaf spelled C-U-R-A-L-E-A-F. And while you're over there, you can dive into more about the Veterans Cannabis Project, which Cureleaf is proud to be a supporter of. You can learn more about that very worthy organization over at their website, found at vetscp.org, spelled V-E-T-S-C-P.org. Big thanks to everyone at Cureleaf for their support of groups like the Veterans Cannabis Project and for their help in keeping the podcast lights running here. One more time, that's cureleaf.com.
And we're back. Before I kick it back to Ben, Taylor, and Ann for the rest of the show, we need to jump into a segment we like to call Marijuana Today Daily this week. But before I do that, I need to thank our news sponsor, Grainworks Consults, run by longtime listener to the show, Jason, who's an expert at helping businesses do business better. Pop over to greenworksconsults.com today with work spelled W-O-R-X to learn how Jason and his team of business process experts can help you and your business make more money. That's greenworksconsults.com. All right. On to the news. Ben Adlin, writing over Marijuana Moments, dives into some big news out of New Jersey, where late last week, state lawmakers made some big strides in advancing legislation, setting up a legal marijuana sales program, something that was not included in the voter initiative passed earlier this month that lifted adult use prohibition. That ballot measure simply asked voters if they wanted to legalize, leaving the actual construction of a regulated market up to the legislature. On Tuesday, the two proposed legal cannabis market bills, S-21 and A-21, were further advanced out of their respective committees, with the Assembly Appropriations Committee voting 7-4 to in favor and the Senate Budget and Appropriations Committee going 8-3. to The one slight hiccup out of the legislative work done last week is the fact that the Senate and Assembly committees introduced different enough amendments to require some negotiation over merging the two versions, which will take an extra measure of time. Still, though, expect this storyline to resolve soon enough. Pop over to Ben's story on marijuana moment for more here. As we always do, we have all the news we cover linked to on our website at mjtodaypodcast.com. Leafly's Dave Howard grabs the second story this week with a nice headline out of Chicago where legal marijuana sales tax are being credited with helping to save 350 city jobs that had been on the chopping block due to coronavirus budget shortfalls. Illinois legalized adult use marijuana in January of this year and sales have been healthy and growing every month since, which helped bring in enough money for Chicago city officials to create a special bond on future cannabis taxes that will be used to shore up the city's finances this year. That directly saved 350 jobs that were slated to be eliminated. This is an awesome story that we should be telling everyone living in places without legal cannabis. Our final story this week has us winding down in California, where longtime chief regulator Lori Ajax is stepping down from her position leading the state's Bureau of Cannabis Control, where she's worked ever since being appointed in early 2016 by then-Governor Jerry Brown. Ajax oversaw her agency as the Golden State pushed a fast transition from having legal medical cannabis to full-blown adult use and was generally considered to be a solid regulator. She will remain on the job through December 1st with no word as of yet who might be tapped as her replacement. That's all the marijuana news for this week. All of our headlines today came from our news podcast, Marijuana Today Daily, which gives you the 10 most important industry news stories every Tuesday through Friday morning. Open up your browser and swing on over to mjtodaydaily.com to give a listen. That's mjtodaydaily.com. And of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher by simply searching for the term marijuana. That does it for the news. For Marijuana Today, I'm Shay Gunther. Back to you, Ben. Thanks, Shay. Uh, Marijuana Today Daily this week. Still my favorite title for a segment.
as I was saying, uh, we're, we're heading into the end of the year with some great indicators uh, for the financial well-being of the industry, especially in the U.S. As reported by my friend Alan Brockstein at New Cannabis Ventures, uh, there seems to be uh, some good news out there with the third quarter earnings reports. Uh, Cresco Labs Q3 revenue soars 63% uh, to $153 million. Uh, Cureleaf Q3 revenue increases 55% to $182 million, uh, nailing the illustrious $420 million uh, of managed revenue year to date. Uh Shout out to my co-host uh, Heather Sullivan uh, for the Cureleaf team. Uh, those are those are massive, uh, massive numbers. And, and what would cannabis be without a little comedy? Uh, even the Canadian stocks seeing a little bit of a bump after the legalization push. Uh, of course, those are probably misguided bets by retail investors. Uh, but I appreciate the sentiment. So, Anne, uh, through the work you do with KCSA, uh, you you have a a lot of exposure here working with different clients. Uh, has it generally been just a solid year for the cannabis industry uh, despite the pandemic? And, and what's your take on how this, uh, you know, builds on the momentum that we we're talking about in the last segment uh, heading into 2021? Um, I, I definitely think COVID threw uh, a wrench into everything. Uh, but I think that, you know, a couple of things. Uh, there were a lot of businesses that were um, very focused on execution and not so focused on playing the the map game where showing, you know, oh, we're now in this state and we're in this state and we're on buying sprees. It was more companies that were kind of hunkering down, uh, focusing on what they do well um, and making sure they could execute in states like Illinois, um, which, which went uh, online in... <laughs> 74 years ago, I don't know, January of this year, <laughs> whenever that was. Um, so I, I think I think that helps that there was this kind of shift in um, in strategy. So it wasn't such a land grab anymore. It was more, you know, now you needed to prove excellence to your investors or prove value to your investors, and in that you're you know you're building your company um, and you had a clear pathway to revenue. Um, and I also think that um, in a, the fact that cannabis was deemed an essential service um, was something that was that was monumental, really. I think that um, being able to stay open and to stay operating and to sort of prove that this is this is. Um, this is medicine for people. And even in the recreational markets, a lot of people are using it for things like sleep, for stress, for depression, for anxiety. And I think that having that option available to them that's not, you know, a prescription is something that's really attractive to people. And I, and especially now we're seeing more mental illness, um, you know, uh, uh, coming from this pandemic and having that ability in states that are legal to, to, to exercise your use there has been a net positive for, for the, for the markets, I think, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, you're, you're seeing some of these, um, these, these longer term plans that were announced like two, three years ago, finally start to, um, to mature and, um, and, and come to light. And I think that that's, you know, I'm not saying we've turned a corner. I, I think, it's way too early for that. Um, but I think it is a positive, it was a good quarter for the cannabis companies. And, and, and Taylor, what, what, what have you been saying? You, you operate in a lot of different states and, and work on a lot of the different efforts. I mean, 
the speaking of the pandemic, it, it is interesting that we're really seeing a focus on on the current uh, uh, elevation in numbers being in those middle states that weren't necessarily reporting a lot of numbers, you know, in the earlier days of the pandemic. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's really interesting to think about. Like, what do you what do you think? I think the pandemic certainly played into it um, and all of the things that Ann just said about um, the way that it w- was able to kind of achieve a new status um, because of being declared essential and and because of the ways that that um, pandemic lifestyle has probably <laughs> led to greater consumption, to be honest. Um, but I also think, and this is not terribly different from, from what Ann said, there's also just a, a factor of time in here, you know, time and learning. Um, this is a market that is, that was brand new. Um, and there was a ton of froth and optimism and, and frankly, probably unreasonableness, um, irrational exuberance to quote a former fed chair many years ago. Um, and now that stuff is starting to settle down. You know, the, the industry went through some pretty rough patches of cutbacks and I mean, and these are still going on, but you know, cutbacks and layoffs and canceling deals and, you know, COVID in some ways, especially the early part of COVID kind of accelerated that it gave people kind of a moment to say, you know what, we've been waiting and waiting and waiting for this to happen. And now it's really not going to happen. Uh, we got to get our, our books in order. Um, and now the, the companies that have gone through that, a lot of them are either out of business or they have retrenched into places where they can much more reasonably develop a foundation and a growth pattern that is more like other businesses, to be honest. Um, so yeah, I think that's that, that sort of reversion to the mean, it feels like is what we're seeing contribute to, to this corner being turned that Anna was talking about. And I think just to kind of riff off of what you, you just said, Taylor, I think because it's such a retail investor heavy, uh, industry that there was a learning curve that needed to happen. Um, and that you had this green rush come in, (laughs) plug, um, (laughs) and, and really, and and it wasn't the smartest money in the world. They were looking for short-term gains. Um, they wanted to get in, make their millions and get out. They wanted to stick their, you know, their pension funds and their 401ks in this market. And, you know, that wasn't necessarily the best the best use or the best strategy or the best way to use that money. So I think that um, companies are also being a little bit more um, pragmatic about, um, you know, who their who their investors are. Um, and, you know, their people, you know, there's a there's a huge just you know, bucket of family offices that are, that are involved, um, in the, in the investing space here. And, you know, they're, they're, they're a little bit more mature, a little bit more, um, and I'm not, I don't mean to like drag on the retail investors, like they are what built this, but at the same time, um, they're looking to get in and get out. They're not looking for that five to seven to 10 year play. Um, and that is what a lot of these companies need because, you know, you're, you're not going to see 280E move anytime soon. You're not going to see, um, you know, these, <laughs> these benefits happen. I mean, these companies are getting by by like the skin of their teeth and, and there's, there's just not the profit that was, was promised or maybe expected by some of these initial investors in the space. Okay. I'm going to insert myself and, and 
take a little bit of a dig on the retail <laughs> investor. <laughs> I, I mean, I was okay. nicer. Okay, okay, okay. You can <laughs> you can be the heavy. I, I, I will I will give everyone a break for 2018 and prior. We didn't know what the hell was going on. Everyone needed the money. The crash was whatever it was. Um, but look again, as, as like reported by New Cannabis Ventures. Uh, the four largest Canadian LPs and the four largest MSOs by market cap shows that American cannabis companies are benefiting less uh, from the election wins than the LPs. Uh, with only GTI, uh, which posted a monster uh, a quarter last week, uh, able to be any of the Canadian LPs. And it's just like, wouldn't you want to put your money in in um, in, in the U.S. companies after a legalization effort in the U.S. and and, and I'm talking, it's dramatic, right? It's like Cureleaf, uh, Trueleaf, Cresco Labs, um, all in the kind of eleven to call it fourteen and a half percent growth range, and then a lot of the Canadian ones, Canopy, Afria, uh, being in the twenty four percent growth range, and then Aurora being at like fifty something percent, um, and it's just it. it I don't know. It's it's just like shocking, um, and and I guess it, it leaves me with a question. You know, are do you guys have exposure to the way some of these Canadian companies are going to be capitalizing here in the U.S., or are they still kind of like holding out, being like waiting for federal legalization, like the story has been? Um, and you know, again, I go back to maybe this is just confusion uh, on on the on the side of the, the retail investor. <laughs> well, Cause it is confusing. I mean, I, I certainly don't blame them yeah, there. Um, that's true. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, in terms of Canada, I think there's a couple of things going on there. I think there's the, the 2.0 expansion to, to 3.0, which is like now, infused barbecue sauces <laughs> or whatever. Um, <laughs> what, was 2.0 ever a thing? Or oh, was yeah. It, just... <laughs> it, was a, it was a big thing that, you know, that, that it, you know, you're able to now get, like, gummies. Yeah. And, and, and stuff that you just couldn't. You Before, I think it was only flour, and, and now you can do vapes. Yeah. And, like, so it really did. I'm just saying 2.0 was all of, like, a year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For sure. And, and now, I don't know. I really don't even know the difference between 2.0 and 3.0, but it's what I'm hearing from my Canadian friends. Um, and I think that there's also an international play at work. Um, you know, a lot of these companies are looking to Europe and are looking to Australia and are looking to South America. Um, and and, and investors are seeing that and being like, maybe that's the footprint I need. Like I need to, they want to see that PowerPoint slide that says what your footprint is. Um, and I think maybe that just tickles them. I don't, I mean, I don't know. Um, and I, um, I also think that, you know, they're, they're waiting on the sidelines for the U.S. government to get off its ass. I mean, but they're doing yeah. things like Canopy, yeah, you know, is, is, has their North American, you know, CBD, Martha Stewart stuff. And so, I mean, they're doing the, the thing they need to be doing so that when the, the, the flip switches, you know, they have an infrastructure there that, that can come in and compete pretty quickly. Yeah, I do wonder, you know, to what extent the, you know, institutional investors are still just wary of, of doing business with a company that's based here in the U.S. You know, it, it, yes, we all would like to think that legal changes are around the corner, but 
and as a retail investor, you may have the <clears throat> the the flexibility to to sort of take on that risk. But when you're talking about institutional investment, you know, there's a lot more risk aversion there, and and so maybe there's a desire to reflect better news for the industry at large, but being expressed by investment in Canada where you, you don't have the, the legal issues. Yeah. Uh, part of me wonders is like, if we can at least get safe banking, um, that maybe this alleviates uh, at least a significant amount of pains for, for the businesses and, and investors. Uh, I've kind of given up on on seeing a vote in on the more act, uh, this year. Um, but I, do we anticipate banking at least becoming available in the near future? Like maybe 2021 as well. Um, it certainly feels like the most, the, the most likely thing to move. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's already passed in the house, um, before and, uh, you know, with a very closely divided Senate, um, if we can win over a few Republicans, I mean, the, the, the bigger challenge on the Senate side is just getting it to be brought to a vote in the first place. Um, but it certainly it has all the support that it needs in terms of you know the American Banking Association and all of these very mainstream uh, organizations outside of cannabis alone. Um, and if banking, you know, if safe banking were to pass, then I do think that would have a really positive effect on investment opportunities for lots of different reasons. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of the, the small business sort of access to capital question. Um, and then there's just the complications for larger investors that come from banks not being willing um, to participate. So it's certainly, you know, I, I think if anything's going to change in the next year, that seems like the most likely first step. Isn't it funny, though, that we're like rooting for big banks to come in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there were some way to like limit it, you know, but yeah, you know, I just I will say, though, and I know you're you're being tongue in cheek, but it's true that, you know, the the smaller businesses, you know, really take the brunt of the effect, you know, larger businesses typically have the ability to leverage their way around these issues in one way or another, either they have at least a little excess capital to spend on it, or they have relationships or they have, you know, something that allows them, you know, to kind of get through these things. But if you're a small business or you're just starting up and you have no access to small business loans, you have no access to, um, the kinds of relationships that allow you to get, you know, um, capital to, to grow your business, you know, it really, you're, you're taking the brunt of that in a way that, you know, a larger business that, you know, can publicly trade even, um, at least has access to that kind of capital. Um, so as much as, yeah, I, you know, the rooting for <laughs> big banks is a little, feels a little, uh, a little distant or, uh, counterintuitive, but, um, the right. effects, you know, disproportionately hurt small businesses. Yeah. There's, there's some, some great takeaways from, from the segment and, and I, I will tie a little bit of a bow on it here. Um, you know, I, I love the idea and it doesn't matter if you're a big publicly traded company or a small business, uh, being, uh, less motivated by, by the land grab, focusing on, on shifting, uh, or shifting your focus to, to execution operations and running a good business. Um, I, I think I've personally been driving towards that, you know, over the past year and, and it's certainly where I see, uh, investor confidence really built, 
um, you know, being deemed uh, an essential service. I mean, this has such long lasting implications for us, us and just kind of adds to our, our foundation and motivation a, as an industry. And, um, you know, certainly bolsters consumer sentiment. And, and in this time of the pandemic and, you know, many of us being isolated and, and the, the impacts of that on, on mental health and, and how cannabis can play a, a big part of that. It's all, you know, I, I think as a whole, it's all helping build us, uh, helping us build a, build a better industry. So really excited for, for, uh, the year to come, um, Thank you both for, for, for your thoughts on all that. We, we, we managed to take quarterly earnings reports and make it interesting. Uh, so that's a feat in itself. Um, oh, we're yes. so talented. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Taylor, I know you're going to have to jump after this. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you. Absolutely. This was awesome. And uh, it was great to be on with you, Ben, and always a joy to see you. And likewise, um, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when we come back, um, Ann and I are going to sit down and have a little bit of a one-on-one conversation. Uh, excited for this new format for me, at least. Um, so, uh, but before we get there, I'm going to bring Shay back in to talk about one of our sponsors uh, who, keep, who keeps the, the, the mics and lights on. We are ever so glad to have the support of our new sponsor, Paul, makers of professional filtration solutions for cannabis oil processing. The Paul Corporation is a global leader in high-tech filtration, separation, and purification, and is now pivoting into legal marijuana, bringing all of their accumulated scientific and technological capital to bear. Paul offers the world-class technology that you need to get the very best out of your legal cannabis oil. With solutions for clarification, color removal, and pathogen detection, Paul is there for you with a range of solutions guaranteed to fit your needs. To learn more about Paul's wide suite of cannabis oil processing technologies, you just need to open up bit.ly.com slash paulcannabis with Paul spelled P-A-L-L and bit.ly spelled B-I-T-L-Y. That's bit.ly.com slash paulcannabis. And one thing to note there is the P and the C both need to be capitalized in Paul Cannabis bitly.com slash Paul Cannabis. Big thanks to everyone over at Paul for helping us keep the news lights on. Thanks, Shay, and thanks to our sponsor. Uh, this has been an absolutely great show uh, thus far. Thank you so much to, to Taylor, uh, who, who just had to take off, um, and of course, Anne, who's still here. Um, as I would mentioned at the top of the show, 
I had the great pleasure of sitting down uh, with Anne on the Green Rush podcast not that long ago. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, if if you want to have a listen, I I don't know what episode it was. It was probably about eight episodes. Oh, you're or so asking ago. me, the host. I don't. I've. We don't even count our episodes <laughs> so, anymore. Yeah. We can. We'll, we'll, you know who knows? <laughs> Shay. <laughs> we'll Shay. stick a link in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I wanted to take this opportunity. Uh, to flip the mic and and do a little bit of an interview with you uh, and and just really find out kind of, you know, where your head's at. You, you've been interviewing a, a lot of people in the industry over the mm-hmm. years, uh, the last three years uh, with the pod. Um, and as we've been talking about, there's just like this certain momentum uh, that has been gained in this kind of crazy political and pandemic year. And, and we have 2021 on the horizon. So it's when people listen to this, it will now be Thanksgiving week. Um, so let's start there. Uh, what are you thankful for <laughs> this year? <laughs> um, you know, I am thankful for so much uh, in, a, in such a weird year. Uh, I think we're all looking at our health in a little bit of, uh, of a different way, um, it, you know, in that, you know, if you had your health earlier, uh, you know, you're kind of looking at it with um, without taking it so much for granted, maybe, um, and just taking, you know, the air you breathe and the things that you touch and the people you hug. Um, you know, I think we all have a new appreciation of that in a way that, yeah. that we really didn't have before. Um, so, you know, from a, from a personal level, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful. My, my family, my friends, um, you know, we're all healthy, um, knocking on wood. Um, and I think that, um, from a professional perspective, uh, I, I, am thankful for how we as a company at KCSA were able to pivot. Um, we didn't lay anyone off. Um, we all retreated to our homes and everybody really stepped up and realized that, you know, we, we did, we did lose some clients, but, you know, we worked really hard. We're, you know, we're gaining, you know, gaining on, on that ground that we lost. Um, and I'm incredibly proud of that. Um, you know, it's, because it's not easy to go home after being in, a, in an office environment, right? I mean, you're used to, you know, get, bouncing ideas off of each other. And, you know, I, I spent 10 years in our New York office where I had just this, this great community of people um, around me and supporting me. And I, I came out to LA a couple of years ago and, you know, I had my little four-person office out here. So I even had that, you know, to, to be around me. But, you know, going, going home and being, you know, in just a different space every day. Um, you know, and the, the way that we've been able to really pivot and, um, and be successful in spite of all that just makes me really proud of my company and my teammates. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's been really interesting the, the the shift to home in particular, uh, I think, Everyone, it took everyone a while to like be like, oh, this might be a semi-permanent situation. I mean, remember and when it was like maybe, two week increments? You're like, oh, we're home another yeah, yeah. two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, and I'll, I'll just work on my laptop here at the kitchen table. <laughs> right. And then, and it's like, oh, I need, I need a chiropractor, but I can't go see one. And it's like, oh, I'm getting carpal tunnel. And it's, it, it's like, oh, maybe I need to come up uh, with a better solution. Um, right. And even me right now, I'm recording this uh, from my garage, uh, which is also where I've been doing my day job uh, and also my fatherly duties. <laughs> and so it's just like, and it was just the other day, I'm like, 
Um, and I haven't been in the garage all summer. I, I moved here because actually my, 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 my little one turned six months old and she needed her own room, which was my home office. Um, but yeah, after a week or so working in the garage, I'm like, oh, I don't see sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I think this is messing with me. And, and it's, it's that kind of, uh, quote unquote new normal, right. uh, where something temp, what seemingly temporary all of a sudden becomes a long-term thing. And, and. Uh, everything associated that's with that's been really weird. Yeah. And just uh, having that, I mean, I, I live in LA and so I didn't have quite the, or I don't have quite the weather issue that, you know, a lot of my colleagues on the Northeast and my family, you know, has. And I think that I'm very grateful to be able to walk outside, um, you know, any day of the year. Um, and you know, it's not, it doesn't get below 50 degrees on a normal day. So, you know, which is, that would be freezing in LA. Um, so I think that, um, but being very purposeful and like having to remind yourself to get out because there, there would be two or three days that would go by that I'm like, I haven't left this apartment <laughs> and that is not yeah. good for me. So, you know, I think yeah. it's just learning all of those new norms, um, is, is really tough and challenging and stressful on people. Um, yeah. And, and unfortunately there's many parts of our country that are feeling this for the very first time. And, uh, many people in our industry that are starting to feel this for the first time. And so, um, you know, as we, again, we look into the new year, we talked about a lot of the positive things and frankly, how we started off the segment, which I absolutely want to get back to positive, but I'm going to ask a question. It's like, you know, with the, the curve of the pandemic, uh, moving in up and to the right, as they say in, in our world, um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm curious as to what this might look like for us as an industry going into the new year from, from kind of that challenging aspect. And, you know, uh, a lot of us have done the move to virtual, um, you know, our team at Vertoso, we have a largely virtual business team now where we, you know, we deal with manufactured goods. Uh, and so it used to be a lot of in-person stuff and, and we, we now, you know, ship, uh, ship sample kits and people work with the product virtually and we do virtual sessions to, to do product development. Um, and there's a lot of shipping back and forth. <laughs> um, but it's just like, is everyone else going to be able to get on board? What's the larger impact when it comes to the larger facilities and MSOs working across all these different environments? I mean, you know, what's interesting is that when this first hit, um, I was talking to a lot of our clients and, um, I remember one of them said to me, like, you know, Anne, there, there is really very few other safer places to be than, um, than in a cannabis facility, um, you know, be it in the U.S., be it in Canada, um, because of the strict regulations that are involved be between the the air filtration system, the HVAC, um, the fact that I mean, any any grow I've gone to, you know, you are before pandemic, like you are in booties, you are in gloves, you are in a mask, like it is it is taken very seriously because they know the ramifications of even just one, you know, one thing is out of line or you get you know a ding on one report. Um, you know, from a, from a regulator and they'll shut you down. Um, and I think that that goes also for the, the dispensary and the consumer facing side of it. I mean, anecdotally speaking, just our, our local, um, dispensary was 
you know, was out there with, with delivery options. They were out there with curbside options. They had, I mean, th this was when it was super, super crazy, you know, uh, thermometer checks, which you still have to get every time you walk in, you have to sanitize before you go in. It's a very strict, you know, who's allowed in, how many are allowed in. So I think that, that they are almost a model to watch for, for other businesses that want to stay in business and that can prove that they can do it in a safe way. Uh, so I, um, I am cautiously or nauseously, I don't know which, optimistic. <laughs> um, that, <laughs> nauseously optimistic. <laughs> you know, that it's, we, I just don't want us to F it up, you know, I, I mm -hmm. because it is so, this, this virus is just, is so devastating. Um, and, you know, people are, are not following the rules and, and, you know, there's, there's a benefit to following the rules. We live in a community. We have this social contract with each other. I want you to be mm -hmm. safe. You want me to be safe. Um, and you know, if we can just kind of remember that and, um, care for your neighbor, I guess is my message. <laughs> yeah, no. It, and it's, it's a great message. And I often sign off with a similar message. Um, but I, I, I guess the, the one thing I'm truly grateful for is, is being in the industry and having access and knowledge of the products. Um, you know, I, <laughs> again, flexing the format a little bit here. Sorry, Shay. Um, but in the past, uh, especially before the cannabis industry, um, you know, I, I struggled with call it an abundance of, uh, alcohol consumption and going into lockdown, being stressed with, with the workload and, and not having those normal social outlets, it was really easy uh, to turn to old habits. And, and I know a lot of people are struggling with that. And having access to, to cannabis uh, has actually really uh, helped me counterbalance that. Um, whether it's uh, providing an outlet for, for that stress relief at the end of the day, or um, allowing me to sleep at night and, and getting all the thoughts out of my head of all the things that, that need to be done to, to survive in, the, in this time period and, um, you know, have been able to, to curb uh, those desires to, to go move towards, you know, other substances and, and what have you. And um, just, you know, so grateful. And, and I really hope, um, you know, we, we talk a lot about legalization and this is what it's all about, right? Like providing access uh, to, to safe and, and, um, reliable cannabis. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's a, a lot of fear uh, around what can happen, but the, 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 the foundation that we are essential, um, really gives me a lot of hope about how cannabis can play a big part in, in what is to come, um, you know, for, for the health of our nation. Um, as you look to 2021 and, and we make this transition from a fairly hellacious year, <laughs> I don't think that's out of the ordinary for me to say. Um, what's your level of, of, of hopefulness despite the pandemic? I am hopeful. Um, and I'm normally a, a nervous Nelly. I mean, I'm in PR, so I deal with contingency planning all the time. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> uh, it, I think also there is a certain amount of, um, of, of COVID fatigue, but I also am used to this rhythm of life. So I'm a creature of habit. 
okay, like I'm not seeing people. I think the holidays are going to be difficult. Um, usually my mm -hmm. mom comes out or, you know, or we go home for, for, to the East coast for the Christmas and Hanukkah holidays. Um, so I think I'll probably feel it a little bit more there, but, but I am hopeful. I, this news coming out of, um, of Pfizer and Moderna, um, you know, is, gives me incredible hope to be able to just start to live a normal life again. Um, and I'm not even talking about, you know, traveling and trips. I'm talking about like seeing my family and, um, mm -hmm. giving my nephew a hug and all of the, just the basic stuff that we kind of took for granted. So I am hopeful. I have to be hopeful. Um, because the alternative is to worry about something that's out of my control. Yeah. How stoic of you. That sounds really good now. I mean, ask me <laughs> later when I can't sleep at 2 a.m. But <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we have a solution for I that. Do, I, um, I do. I am a gummy girl. <laughs> Helps me <yes>. sleep. <laughs> my, my nightly low-dose gummy. Absolutely. It's been perfect. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the, the, the family aspect is certainly interesting. Um, in these cases, I'm I'm always... My, my defense mechanism is like, oh, okay, I have plenty of work to do. But, you know... If I'm going to be real, uh, next week or or this week, whenever you're listening, um, this will be my first Thanksgiving, not seeing my parents uh, in 39 years, um, and that's uh, that's startling. That's a big um, deal. Yeah, mine's yeah. 42 years. Yeah, it's a big deal. Yeah. Um. So yeah. We must keep persisting and and keep focusing on the positive. And there, and there is a lot of positive to focus on. Um, and knowing that all of us working in this industry to make it happen every week, every month, every election cycle, <laughs> um, that it is absolutely uh, creating a, a better future for, for everyone. Um, and, and, and that's... That's exciting. All right. <laughs> I agree. Co-sign everything you said. Yeah. Let's wrap up segment three there. Thank you going on for that little journey with me. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, we're all feeling it. Yeah. Yeah. It's real. It's real. Um, okay. Back to the listeners. Uh, we're going to take... Uh, one more quick break to hear from Shay and, and one of our sponsors who makes all of this possible. And when we return, finishing moves. We're thankful to have the support of our friends over at All Kind of Portland, Maine, which provides medical patients and soon adult use customers a wide selection of fine marijuana strains, handcrafted edibles, and all sorts of tinctures, rosins, dabs, honeys, and more. If you live in or around the greater Portland, Maine area, then you owe it to yourself to check out the buzz about All Kind, which is now offering up delivery and reduced contact curbside pickup. All Kind's wide array of legal cannabis products can be found over at allkind.buzz. That's allkind.buzz. You can also browse All Kind's extensive menu on both Leafly and Weed Maps. And if you're not lucky enough to live up here around Portland, Maine, you can still shop all kinds of CBD products online, which can be shipped to your home anywhere in the United States. When you think about living the lifted life, you should be thinking all kind. Maine grown, Maine made, enjoyed by all kinds. That's all kind of Portland, Maine. 
Big thanks for the support that helps us keep the podcast lights running. Welcome back, folks. Uh, now it's time for my favorite part of the show, Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves is the part of our show uh, where our illustrious guest uh, can talk about anything uh, she wishes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anne. Okay. Uh, what is your finishing move? So, my I want to just read a little bit um, from an article that that touched me uh, probably I don't know ten days or so ago. Um, a man who is described as the longest serving inmate for marijuana crimes in the country is going to be let out of uh, his. The, the South Florida prison where he's been for 31 years um, before Christmas. Uh, his name is Richard DeLisi. He was sentenced to 90 years uh, by a Polk County, Florida judge uh, after a conviction in 1989. Um, he is 71 years old now and at a very high risk uh, of death if he contracts uh, COVID-19 because he's got a lot of underlying health conditions. Um, he This will be the first Christmas since 1988 that he doesn't spend behind bars. Um, he was convicted along with his brother for trafficking cannabis and conspiracy to track to traffic cannabis, cannabis, um, by a judge, uh, Dennis Maloney and sentence who sends both brothers to three consecutive 30 year sentences, which just think about that. <laughs> um, the doctor and the doctor who studied the case, um, for the last prisoner project said that he, um, has just this array of, of horrible conditions because of a, you can't live a healthy lifestyle in, in a prison. So he's got chronic pulmonary disease, asthma, hypertension, diabetes. So, uh, and the list goes on. So this man, you know, poses no risk to society. Um, it was a nonviolent, uh, drug offense. Um, he has not seen his daughter since she was three years old when he went to prison. Um, and I just wanted to highlight, you know, the good work that this was done um, with a lot of work from the Last Prisoner Project. Um, and if you go to lastprisonerproject.org, you can um, see some of the great work they're doing. Um, and, you know, this is just indicative of the 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 problems that that we have as as an industry um, and the problems that we face, um, you know, uh, moving forward. I mean, we're all here, you know, we're making our livings off of off of this drug um, that, you know, 40,000 people are still sitting in prison for. So um, while I, you know, yay to the last prisoner project, um, but oh my God, I can't believe it took this long that that mm -hmm. this man was sitting in jail. So um, that's my that's my take for the week. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely heartbreaking, crazy, awesome at the same time that he got out. But it's just our our company has long supported the Last Prisoner Project. It's absolutely essential that any company op operating in the space re really support such movements uh, because, yeah, 40,000 people is 40,000 too much. Um, fantastic. 
Yeah. So for me, um, it is Thanksgiving week. Uh, the pandemic is is raging. And whether you believe it to be a big problem or not, or a hoax or not, I'll save my opinion. <laughs> but know that it's not about you. It's about those around you. And if you are planning on seeing your family, if you are planning on coming back to be around coworkers, um, absolutely take that into consideration. And in the very least, be transparent with people and let them have a say around whether you get to be around them or not. And go get tested. Tests are, are, are widely available in most areas now. And so all I'm pleading is to be responsible and do your part, especially if you're in the industry, because a shutdown to a business or a lab or, or whatever it is um, could be extremely impactful uh, to the company in a negative way. And so uh, I, I said this to my team earlier and in all hands, it's just like, I'm not telling you to not go see your family, although I personally am not for the first time in 39 years. If you choose to, at least let other people know uh, that you're you're doing so, and let them have a say about how they interact with you in the future. All right. How about a round of applause for our amazing guests, uh, the 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 host uh, guest crossover, uh, Ann Donahoe, and 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 veteran regular uh, Taylor West. Thank you uh, so so much of course um and thank you to shay uh and the team for their production work that makes us all sound so darn good and an overclock remix uh, for those wonderful tunes and of course thank you to all of our sponsors for their generosity that keeps the mics and lights on Please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes so that the other cannabis nerds uh, can tune in and stay current on the latest industry news. Most importantly, Marijuana Nation, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today and that you have an incredible marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One take.